we will be reading together uh, the whole book of Hebrews 13, whole chapter. I'm reading from the NIV version. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people knew entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God. He will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my keeper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen brothers i urge you to hear with my word of exhortation for i have written you only a short letter i want you to know that our brother timothy has been released if he arrives soon i will come with him to see you Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy sent you their greetings. Grace be with you all.
Well, good morning again, everyone. Now, let me uh, begin by pointing out that the timing of commissioning the leadership on the same day as reading a scripture that says, submit to your leader's authority, that was not uh, intentional. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says it, right? So you better do it. But, but don't think we're, <laughs> we're trying to tell you that, you know, it is, it's God who's telling you that, not us, right? So no, I'm just kidding. But all joking aside, this morning, you saw the faces of deacons and elders and pastors, uh, and we commissioned them into the ministry that God has called them and that we as a community have affirmed in them. And I just want to say they give a lot of themselves to you, uh, to the church, to God in what they do. So while they are human and flawed like the rest of us, having worked with them myself, I can honestly say that you can have a confidence in them as they uh, seek to hear from God, as they serve in humility with a wide variety of gifts and experiences um, that I think reflects our community uh, well. So I do encourage you to have confidence in the ways that they seek to serve God in our midst and you, um, and that we together will do what we can to make their work, uh, as the author says, to make their work a joy, not a burden, uh, for that would be no benefit to the church. Of course, though, with this being said, if you have any questions or concerns, they are a humble bunch who are serving you in love. So please approach any of them, any of us, without any hesitation. Now, this, of course, goes for me, too, but um, I didn't want to lump myself in the humble bunch category. Because, as you know, as soon as you suggest, say you're humble, that makes you not humble. And so, therefore, by not saying I'm humble, that makes me humble, right? I'm just kidding. Just moving on. Okay, moving on. But... I'd, I, do, I feel like whenever the theme of leadership in churches comes up recently in our society, it raises this, an unfortunate concern about integrity. And quite frankly, if we had social media in the 1500s, 500s, any time in history, if we had social media pointing out faults of leadership, it, this, it wouldn't just be now that we're seeing it. It would have been throughout the history of Christianity. Recently in the news, and this, of course, the news that we see of um, integrity issues is another reason that I'm thankful for the leaders that we have um, at Spring Garden. It seems that this news constantly has, we're seeing big name Christian leaders who are known for preaching about Jesus, who are known for standing up for proper understanding about God, about teaching importance, right of belief and orthodox doctrine, that they're falling left, right, and center. Because of how they live does not match up with what they say. Believing one thing but living something else. And of course, this isn't just a problem with famous leaders or for one religion, this is a thing with every human being ever. If a belief doesn't mean anything in a lived out life, is it really something, do you really, it's either do you really believe it, or is it really even worth believing? We can have the profoundest theological and philosophical thoughts about reality, about humanity, about God, but if it has no impact on what it means to live, then does it really have any meaning? Is it worth believing in? Who cares? 
So what? And this is something that the author of Hebrews would agree, that if, you, if it doesn't live itself out, it isn't worth believing. For the past couple months here at Spring, we've been going through uh, the book of Hebrews, which for those of you who don't know, it's a letter in the section of the Bible we call the New Testament, essentially everything from Jesus on for, I guess, about 100 years, depending on your view of when they were written. And this letter, Hebrews, the author, or as preacher, as Sam has been calling them, as the letter is essentially a sermon, the preacher has been speaking to an audience of Jews who became followers of Jesus. And so the author is telling them about how Jesus interacts and how Jesus changes and fulfills the events and the traditions and the religious practices of the people of God, the Israelites. It is a beautiful and yet complex letter painting a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished through the lens of the Jewish practices and beliefs. It is a deep thinker's sermon of profound theological depth. As those of you who've been around this summer or those of you who've simply read it, you know this. Yet, with 12 chapters of deep thinking, the preacher does not leave us without answering the question of, so what? Who cares? What difference does any of this Jesus stuff make? And so in chapter 13, the end of the sermon, where all good preachers <laughs> will do at the end of their sermon, the preacher gives what feels like, well, <laughs> I said that sarcastically, but feels what feels like a laundry list of so what's and therefore's. If you were to simply take chapter 13 and read it by the self out of the context of the rest of the letter, which is essentially what we did this morning, it really sounds like this random collection of moralistic rules and regulations, doesn't it? It actually, it sounds like how a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the Bible think about the Bible. That it's simply a bunch of archaic, judgy, moral codes and commandments that seek to repress freedom and keep the masses compliant. But the Bible isn't a rule book about moral codes. It is the story of how the creator of the universe loves and redeems and is working to bring wholeness and grace, and it's all told through the lens of the people of God. Of course, it is also about how, if this is who God is, and this is what God is doing, what does it look like for us to come alongside and to be a presence of holy love and of grace in the world? And so when we read Hebrews 13, we need to read it in the context of the whole letter. And then we get that this is a picture of what we get. What seems like this random list of moral codes is actually the preacher's answer to the question of, you know, this is true of Jesus, this is true of Jesus, this is true of Jesus. I mean, the author covers so many themes. If this is true of Jesus, how do we respond is chapter 13. Each of these items actually link back to themes and teachings about Jesus from earlier in the letter. Uh, this is something that's hard to pick up, especially, I mean, it, we're reading it in English, um, and some of us here aren't, are reading it in another language besides English and hearing me in English, but it's actually written in ancient Greek. And so uh, these are all woven in together. 
So uh, if we can have that, oh, well, the slide is there. It's just not on that screen over there. 13, chapter 13, verse 1, the author says, keep on loving. The word keep on is the same as the word remains. If you're familiar with, you know, remain in me as I in you, abide in me as I in you, it's that word. Keep on means to remain, which is the theme from chapter 12. Verse 27, where the preacher says that what is not shakable remains. What is not shakable is love. And so we are to remain loving. So this verse, which is translated in, in my translation as keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, sometimes is translated as let mutual love continue. But it sounds nice and warm and fuzzy. But the word for love here is not warm and fuzzy love. It's a very practical love. It's Philadelphia which is, of course, where the city of Philadelphia got its names. It means brotherly or sibling love. It is a practical kind of love of sharing possessions and activities, of no matter how messed up your, our weird family relations can be, when there's a problem, you drop everything and you're there for them. You'll sacrifice anything even if you're at odds about some things. It is a practical, giving, self-sacrificing, even in the face of the usual assortment of messed up family relationships type of love. And so because of Jesus, we are to let this unshakable, sacrificial love remain. And then in 13 verse 2, the preacher tells the hearers not to forget to show hospitality to strangers as they may be angels. This whole angels thing, the readers, remember, they were, they're Jews, who now follow Jesus, they would immediately connect this to the story of Abraham back in Genesis, the first book of our Bibles, uh, Genesis 18, who looks after strangers, who invites in strangers who turn out to be angels. And so the preacher here in chapter 13, 2, is referring to chapter 11, where he talks about Abraham. In fact, the, the author talks, the preacher talks about Abraham all through the book. And so here, once again, with just saying, be hospitable so you might be entertaining angels, the, the, the preacher has just referenced like a quarter of what he, what's already been said. And then in their culture, of course, and the, therefore anytime we read about it in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the word hospitality uh, is all about strangers. It's actually... Word linked to Philadelphia, but it is about strangers. So when we invite our friends over and our families over, we are not practicing hospitality. That is not being hospitable. That's just being family and friends. Being hospitable in uh, the first century was inviting strangers, people you don't know, into your home. The author calls the listeners to hospitality by returning to the importance of Abraham that was throughout the letter, appealing to them to be like Abraham, a great man of faith who welcomed strangers that happened to turn out to be angels. So again, and don't worry, I'm not going to do all of the whole thing, but you know, chapter 13, verse 3, preacher says, remember those who were in prison and who were mistreated. It's a way of living that is actually a response to going back to chapter 10, verses 32 to 34 where the readers are, uh, are, the Hebrews talks about how the readers were being insulted and persecuted and how they were suffering with others who were persecuted in those in prison. 
13 verse 4, the marriage bed should be kept pure from adultery and morality, which totally sounds like it's like out of place in the context of these letters. But this is a lived out response to the theme of covenant, which is throughout the letter, and a specific reference to chapter 12 verse 16, where Esau loses his blessing and it was tied to sexual immorality. 13 verse 5, the preacher tells them to keep their lives from the love of money and be content with what they have which is just a lived-out response to chapter 10, verse 34, where he talks about all, how all of their possessions have been taken away. Which is also connected to the call to remain in sibling love, because sibling love is a practicality of sharing possessions. Chapter 13, verse 6, talks about their basis for confidence, which is a theme, well, you can see it there, it's a theme all through Boldness, 13.7 is to imitate leaders, is returning to the theme of imitation in chapter 6. 13.7, 17.24 is the theme of speaking in word, which is all through the thing. Chapter 13.8 is Jesus' morality. Chapter 13.15 is the theme of sacrifice and referencing 7.27 in the entire chapter, chapter 9, and on and on. You know, it goes, Hebrews is used to this, this sacrificial idea of blood and animals that clear a pathway between God and humanity. But now those sacrifices are no longer required in Jesus because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and it's done away with that whole system once and for all and it's made a way for us to be in God's presence without fear. And therefore, we can, chapter 13, 13 speaks about confession, which is you know, found in 3, 1, yada, 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 on and on. The entire thing, the author is just bouncing back and forth. Remember I said this? Well, live it out this way. I hope you get the point. I'm not going to keep going. But I wanted to cover those points, though, which is why I'm kind of I'm stopping there. Chapter 13 is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is not morality for morality's sake. It is not trying to uh, hold down the masses like many think uh, about uh, um, these passages in the Bible. It's about how we live if indeed Jesus really is, as the author of Hebrews says in the big first chapter, if Jesus really is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. How we live if indeed we no longer need to perform rituals for, or the blood of animals in order to get God's forgiveness. How we live if indeed we no longer need a priest to stand between us and God because Jesus has given direct access to the living God, the creator of all that exists. It's how we live if indeed... We do not need to be afraid that God's presence would kill us or that God's judgments would condemn us. How we live if indeed the creator God sacrificed everything for us. It is a belief that calls forth a response of love, of sacrifice, of hope, of mercy, hospitality, covenantal faithfulness, doing good, sharing with others. Not just sharing possessions, but sharing even in suffering. And so if, as we reflect on this, and as our time of focusing on Hebrews comes to a conclusion, I want to end with returning to the why. This is a how section, but why? Why do we have cause to live like this? Where does our hope and confidence lie? The letter of Hebrews ends with two important therefores. Something that's helpful to remember whenever you're reading the Bible, especially in the New Testament, so whenever you see the word, in English, of course, uh, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it therefore? 
The word therefore is always a way of linking what comes after directly with what comes before. Another way to say it is, you can't grasp the point of what is about to be said without looking back at what was said before the therefore. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I confused myself in that one. But. So the first of these is in chapter 12. It's actually chapter 12, right before, but I wasn't going to ask Darlene to read an additional four verses. Four. Chapter 12, 28. Therefore... Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, so right before this verse, there's a section comparing what is shaken, created things that don't have permanence, with that which cannot be shaken, that which remains. And what remains? What is unshakable? We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And again, the kingdom reference, of course, is yet another place where the preacher is referring, making a connection to how to live with what he already said. In this case, reference to the themes of Jesus sitting on the throne, of Melchizedek, an earthly, an eternal priest and king, and how because of Jesus, believers can come freely into God's presence and approach the throne of God. This is uh, the unshakable kingdom that we are receiving, a kingdom that we can have confidence and boldness, and so let us be thankful. Or since the word for thankful here in the original Greek is actually the word for grace, so we are receiving an unshakable, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us have grace. Worshiping God with reverence and awe. And the word worship, of course, I shouldn't say of course, because, again, in English, this is one thing. English is a terrible language, language to translate anything into. The word, there's a lot of words for worship that, uh, that are different. This particular word for worship means, is, is actually from uh, the Old Testament, which is about the priests, the service that the priests do uh, in the temple. And so, when it says to worship God with reverence and awe, it is a word which means to, to serve. So again, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let's have grace. Let's be thankful and so have worship that is serving God in awe and wonder. And of course, this serving worship is what? Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality. This is worship. The whole basis for living out worship as service to God is that we have great reason for confidence in the unshakable kingdom of God. The second, therefore, is in 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that profess his name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices God, with such sacrifices God is pleased. Here again, we see that worship, a sacrifice of praise, is not simply singing songs and saying prayers. It is lived out worship of sacrifice, of doing good and sharing with others. Do we need to perform sacrifices in order to gain God's favor? No. It, 
the preachers already covered that territory. No, we don't. Do we have to perform good deeds to be loved and welcomed into the presence of the living God? No, the preachers already covered that. No, you don't. Our living worship then can be a sacrifice in awe and wonder as simply a response to the beautiful work of Jesus in the unshakable and sure, never-failing, never-ending love of God. This is where we find confidence to endure and to love. It's not a list of moral rules. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to know the living God. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. On some level, the entire book of Hebrews, the preacher is saying to the hearers, the ways you've interpreted scripture and religious laws all needs to be thrown away and reinterpreted. Jesus changes everything you know about what you always thought. In Jesus, we see exactly who God is. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. And so all of the ways that have been interpreted before, you need to set that aside and reinterpret it all through Jesus. And this is what is unshakable. It is Jesus that is unshakable. The only thing that remains is love. The only thing that is unshakable and secure is the kingdom of God. What you have thought about God, what you have interpreted in the scriptures, how you live out worship in the world, it's changing. Because Jesus is what is eternal and unshakable. Traditions, translations, interpretations are finite creations of humankind, and they can be shaken. But how can we understand God and Jesus? It may shift and grow and mature. The way, the, how we understand God may shift and grow and mature. But Jesus? No. Jesus is trustworthy and sure, an eternally unshakable foundation for confidence and boldness. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, says God. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Therefore, let us have grace, be thankful, and so worship God with awe and wonder, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, living out goodness and sacrificial love. And as the author of Hebrews ends, Grace be with you all.